With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, 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 the 2021 NBA All-Star Weekend is in the books. I think they took the loss on the ratings to Oprah in her big interview of the royal family or the former royal family, but let's not dwell on the negatives. Let's dig deep into all the specifics and recap this entire night. I came up with a list of 20 questions. I imagine a few others might surface along the way, whatever's germinating in your brain. But I wanted to start at the beginning of the night because, of course, they put together all those All-Star Saturday events uh, with the the All-Star game on Sunday into one giant mega night of basketball. And I was just curious, what did you think of it? Let's start at the beginning with the skills challenge not exactly racing into sixth gear with that event. I got to be honest. Luka Doncic kind of jogging. Uh, Demonis Sabonis winds up beating Nikola Vucevic in a big man showdown um, in the final round of that thing. Are we at the point where they just need to change the skills challenge format, shake it up, do something else different? Because having that be the first course for All-Star Sunday night, just to me, it was not quite enough excitement out of the gate. What do you think? I mean, I agree. My my thoughts on the skills challenge have been relayed on this podcast before. I, you know, you ask me how they should change it. They should scrap it. It's awful. I hate wow. it. Wow. Um, Delete it from the internet. Just erase it. Yeah. Uh, like it's an event where nobody's even sweating when they're done. Like Sabonis's hair was well coiffed after. There was no difference in his appearance whatsoever uh you talked about luca jogging through it uh and then robert covington you know i feel bad for him he's there for 10 seconds he loses he has to fly back to portland so that's just it's it's a it's a bummer but i mean i was one quick minor correction he showed up he predicted victory then lost in 10 seconds and then he has to go home (laughs) so it's just minor minor detail there but continue 
Yeah, I was watching it, and my wife was sitting on the couch uh, next to me reading a book, and she glanced up, and she's like, "This is, this is the All Star Game. This is what like what is happening right now." She was so confused. I was embarrassed to explain the skills challenge to her. She was not nonplussed with it. Well, I just think you got to get got to get rid of it. There's an inherent challenge in the skills challenge in that it doesn't really show off very many skills. Any right? skills? And yeah. I think that in general, obstacle courses totally underrated. There should be more of those within society, within television. There's nothing really that much better than an obstacle course. So I would like them to lean into that part a little bit more heavily. You know how sometimes they have like uh, basic training where there's barbed wire, like you know, a foot off the ground and you've got to like slide underneath the barbed wire then jump up and climb up a wall then come back down the other side with a rope ladder i mean i think we should really ramp this thing up to see who's like sort of the pristine athlete of the athletes and um if they don't want to do that then i'm with you kind of scrap it they're in this weird (laughs) they're in this weird middle zone and it just doesn't work and it all just comes down to who can hit the three-pointer and watching two guys who list themselves at 611 you know, shooting three-pointers off the backboard is not exactly what I have in mind when I'm thinking skills challenge. So it might be time to just shake that event up a little bit or, you know, ax it. I, you know, for me, I would rather keep it than, than get rid of it, but I would certainly want to improve it. All right, question number two. After that sort of slow start, Michael, did Stephen Curry just kind of come through and save this entire night with his three-point contest performance. Because in the first round for Steph Curry, he was just red hot, had like 30-plus points. In the second round, he was doing a little bit of a comeback. Mike Conley set the high score. He was going and chasing that high score. It got to that final fifth ball rack. He needed to make his last two shots to win. He hits the second-to-last one, does a little fist pump because he knows he set himself up for victory, and then drains the last one, checks the scoreboard, realizes he won. It was a pretty awesome moment. His second three-point contest championship in seven tries was that the most entertaining kind of tense moment of the entire night because the all-star game obviously was a huge blowout (laughs) i mean the fact that you're even asking that question really tells everyone what they need to know about the night um it was fun i i liked you know i i was rooting for mike conley to win because it's just he's a really easy person to root for um but steph was just like an avalanche um after he hit that second Mountain Dew green ball, is that what it's called? I don't even know what those balls are called. But when he hit the second one, um, you just knew he was going to win. Like it was, it was, it was a total wrap. Like he was in the zone, he was feeling it. Um, there's no defenders in his face. He's the greatest shooter who ever lived. It's why I picked him to win the competition. And it was cool to see him win. Also, just yeah, with that last ball, as you said, that last money ball. Um, it was dramatic. It was dramatic, and it was you know it had me leaning forward in my chair slightly. Um, that was that's always a good thing. That's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I thought the the Mountain Dew Green Ball, whatever we're calling that thing, it really separates the wheat from the chaff. And Steph Curry is the weediest wheat man. Uh, that it's so easy for him to shoot that shot relative to some of the other guys like Zach Levine and some other guys who are pretty good shooters got out there. And their mechanics were all off. They're missing it, you know, way, way off, not even really coming that close. Because typically on those normal three-point shots, nobody's missing that badly. You know what I mean? Like, you're you're off maybe by a couple inches, but you step out to that deeper line. All of a sudden, people are spraying shots everywhere. 
and Steph is just casually sinking them, so much so that later during the All-Star game, he and Damian Lillard were basically having a half-court shooting contest during the game and making it look even easier from you know 40-plus feet, which is just absurd. This is all leading to my next question, Michael, which is a very, very leading one. Should the NBA name the three-point contest after Steph Curry once he retires, or should they maybe just do it right now and not even wait uh, for the formality? No, they should not. What? Name it after him. Why not? Um, I, I, I disagree with this. I mean, he's competed in it seven times. He's lost five times. And this is not Steph's fault, but in this particular competition, he was only competing against other all-stars, not the best three-point shooters in the league. So you didn't have Joe Harris. You didn't have Duncan Robinson. The defending champ, Buddy Heald, wasn't there. So I'm not putting an asterisk on the performance. I don't want to do that. But, you know, Dame was just sitting there, didn't compete. Paul George, who's shooting like, I don't even know, 48% or whatever he is from the three-point line, didn't compete. So... Uh, he wasn't going up against the best of the best. And, you know, you, you put that idea in my head of who we should name this after. And if we're naming the three-point contest after anyone, it's got to be Larry Bird. Okay, so wow. he won the, he, he, he won the first. Exceptionalism. <laughs> Come on, Michael. Hey, man. History is history. He won the first three three-point contests. Three in a row, oh, yeah. and then he just stops. I'm sure that I mean, I'm sure there was just, great it's, it's, competition back there for Larry Bird compared to today. Come on, our our C listers today are better than the people Larry Bird knocked out. You're just besmirching the great Craig Hodges now, and I can't have that on this podcast. But no, it's it's Larry Bird. Come on, he's an absolute legend, and I come one of the greatest shoes who've ever lived. And let's let's was, let's give him some respect. Okay, uh, let's talk about respect, Michael. Did was Larry Bird <laughs> such a great shooter that they had to change the terms of the competition to bring in the Mountain Dew green ball? To, you know, to set it back an extra six feet because the normal shot was just too easy. No, that was Steph Curry's development. That was Steph Curry's innovation. <laughs> He changed the whole sport. He's the greatest three-point shooter of all time. I think it might actually make sense to do this um, in all seriousness because I don't know how else he gets something named after him. You know what I mean? Unless you would say, hey, whoever makes the most threes in a season is the Steph Curry shooter of the year or something like it's going to be kind of tricky for the NBA. You know, they're running out of awards, frankly, to kind of honor people. Well, 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 let me just say, like, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to name things after people? Like, give him his statue outside, I guess, not Oracle, but outside the Chase Center or whatever when he retires, and let that be it. That's that's good enough. I like to honor the greats, Michael. What can I say? He's left a huge imprint on the league, and, you know, we can sell T-shirts. I think that's the main reason why we do all of this is, <laughs> is marketing, and Steph is very marketable, as we saw yesterday. He kind of saved the entire evening. His energy and Giannis's energy um, really prevented a complete disaster in the All-Star game, but we're going to get to that in a little bit. Here's a funky question for you. I, I heard on the broadcast they said Mike Conley was nearly the first left-handed three-point champion in the history of that event, which dates back to the 80s like you're describing. That's pretty wild to think about. Um, who do you think will be the first left-handed three-point champion? This is a great question. I think the first player who comes to mind is obviously James Harden, who's the greatest left-handed scorer in NBA history. Um, I think I, I, I don't think that he he's, he's not my answer here. Um, I have two names for you, 
And I actually looked up on Basketball Reference like the greatest three point shooters who are left handed, who are active, and that's why we've got you here. Is, that's why we've got you here, li- Michael. This is your job to do the hardcore research. <laughs> I love it. So who'd you come up with? So there's two names. The list was very depressing. Uh, Joe Ingles who is only 33 years old. It feels like he's a lot older than that for some reason, but he's making 46.5% of his threes this year. He's just, I mean, he's a great shooter. I'm I'm surprised he's never even been invited or participated in this contest, though, which I could have sworn in my brain that I can picture him competing but no he's never been no, that's so just how he plays the him, normal games win. i mean he just stands there in the corner and he takes yeah. passes as if they're <laughs> off the ball rack and he shoots it i mean that's that's really all it is yeah so joe ingles is number one for me and then um number two is uh luke Kennard, uh which yeah it's it's a very sad list here we're going with these lefties um he's shooting 45.6 percent from deep this year okay and... well the answer is james Harden. if we're if we're going to luke Kennard, i mean <laughs> You do have to factor in degree of difficulty for Harden, you know, performing to yeah. his peak ability on an all-star Saturday night during a typical all-star weekend. But you look at some of these cities that are lined up in the future, Cleveland, Salt Lake oh, City. I mean, Harden might be in a position to, you know, have himself together and be ready to rock on that uh, three-point contest. <laughs> Wait, is the real quick, I don't want to sidetrack you, but I didn't even know where we're going to Salt Lake City in a couple of years. Is that that's the case? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it would be amazing if I just broke that casually, but yeah, that's been out for a while, Michael. Great. Um well I'm busy looking up the left handed three point shooters <laughs> over here, so I got time for that. So did you find anybody who could actually do it? Because I mean Luke Kennard's not winning a three point contest, <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> No, it's it's basically Ingles. Maybe Mike Conley comes back. He came pretty close. Um, yeah, I think Conley might but, be the answer. I mean, you come that close, you can't yeah. let it go, right? Now, he got a taste of the All-Star Weekend experience, and it wasn't maybe the most memorable one in terms of the crowd and everything else. So if they extend him an invite again next year, maybe he should go back and, and try to take another shot. I think that would be the, the wisest mm-hmm. answer. I think you hit the right guys, though. Conley, Ingles, Harden. If any of our listeners have uh, other nominations, openfloormail at gmail.com com open floor mail at gmail.com all right let's get to the heavy lift stuff michael the stuff that you and i actually love that would be mm-hmm. the slam dunk contest if you just had to give it a letter grade and don't do one of these things where you name four different people as your mvp okay don't say oh well it was a b it was kind of a c minus well it was a d plus i need one letter grade from you all right what letter grade would you give to the dunk contest this hurts my soul D plus. D plus. Um, wow. Well, we're in the same ballpark. I was going C minus, um, but yeah. this was a happy C minus for me. But why do you say D plus? I mean, there was no crowd. There were no. I mean, the best part of the all, of, of the dunk contest is the crowd reaction. The all stars who were lined up along the the sidelines and the baseline. Their reactions. We didn't get any of that. It was so anticlimactic. The judges were atrocious. Uh, I felt bad for Cassius Stanley after his first dunk getting like four eights. Like, what is even happening? Why are we even doing this? Um, Obi Toppin's best dunk was something that Zach Levine com- completed in a, a layup line last week. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, man. Like, I, I enjoyed Anthony Simon's suction cup dunk, and I was, yeah, I, it was good to see that, and I like Anthony, but... 
overall, it was just, it was so rushed. It was so, there was no flair. And I mean, it's understandable given the circumstances, but it, it is what it is. And it just wasn't, it wasn't up to snuff. Well, when they were going out there at halftime, it did feel like lambs to the slaughter. And I was starting to get really nervous on their behalf. And I was like, oh God, this could be the worst dunk contest ever. Like you're saying, no crowd. Um, just no vibe. None of these people have big personalities. There are no headliners. You know, none of these guys are famous. Like this is setting up to be a disaster. I was pleasantly surprised with the C minus. I would say it, it wasn't the worst dunk contest ever because the judging wasn't great, but at least it didn't completely overshadow and ruin the contest like it has in previous years. And there were a few props here and there, like that suction mm-hmm. cup mini hoop that you're describing. But there wasn't like the dunk contest wheel or the team format. I mean, there just wasn't nothing about the event itself got in the way of the actual dunkers. So most of the conversation mm-hmm. stuck to the actual dunks and dunkers, which is what I would always prefer as kind of a contest purist. Now, how good were their dunks? As you've pointed out rightly, not great. Um, I actually think the Obi Toppin uh, through the legs double clutch reverse dunk is harder than it looks to get the timing right. So I give him credit for that one's pretty nice. Launching off of Julius Randle, not super impressive. If he had cleared him completely, okay, I would have given him a thumbs up on that. My favorite aspect of that dunk was actually his dad, OB Sr., being completely afraid the entire time, keeping his eyes closed as Randall's like <laughs> celebrating um, Obi Toppin flying over him and his dad is just cowering in just fear or anxiety. Who knows what exactly was going through his mind in that moment. Um, it was just hilarious to me. Um, so I think all things considered, we just didn't have any perfect score dunks. We didn't have any dunks that were absolutely insane. If Simons had actually kissed the rim, then I think maybe we remember this one differently. But like when the headline is dunk contest champion almost kisses the rim, it's like, okay, (laughs) well, this this was almost a memorable dunk. But I I wrote this for my Washington Post newsletter this week. This dunk contest is going to be forgotten by Wednesday. I can promise you that. Um, Yep. And that is a good thing because I really think there was an absolute like – you know, disaster, tire fire potential with this thing, having, you know, a smaller, uh, you know, field, doing it at halftime, having no crowd, having some judges where, you know, they're in a situation like um, they, they can't be pressured into voting one way or the other because there's no positive feedback or negative feedback coming from the crowd itself. And all of that really, really had a major disaster. And this wasn't a disaster. It was fine. It was kind of flat. It was a little bit of a disappointment. You know, Magic comes on Twitter and he's like, well, that wasn't the best dunk contest I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> Thanks, Magic. Yeah. And, you know, Captain Obvious sometimes is important, you know, as just sort of like a bellwether uh, barometer for, for how things went. And I think he was right. But the fact that his tweet wasn't, God, that was horrible. Why did they even do it? I thought uh, was actually you know a minor win for the from the league standpoint, and I salute those three guys for showing up. My last point mm-hmm. on it would just be having it at halftime. I thought was going to be terrible and kind of weird and rushed, and actually having a tighter format, fewer dunks, and then just being able to move right back onto game action rather than ending on kind of a flat note like it would have if it had been on Saturday night was actually better. Like, can you imagine if the entire All Star Saturday night had like built up to that Anthony Simons dunk. He doesn't kiss the rim and then everybody just has to go home. I mean, people would have been booing, throwing stuff, you know, in the arena in like a normal year. And this year it didn't even matter. It was like, all right, well, whatever, you know, bring Steph and Dame out and let them shoot some 40 footers. Who cares? 
Yeah, but in a normal year, Anthony Simons and Obi Toppin and Catcher Stanley would not have been the dunker's field. It would have been at least one more guy. Maybe they would have had more, um, maybe you know, more name recognition in general because we wouldn't be in a pandemic and the travel restrictions wouldn't be there and all that. Fair. So, I guess I'm just saying, like for this weird year, the halftime mm-hmm. aspect of it actually worked out better than I feared, right? Because I thought it was sure. going to just be like, well, these guys are like red panda out there on the court, like or quick or quick change <laughs> or whatever, and it was going to be almost like disrespectful to them. But in a way, it just kind of kept the pace of the event. Like the dunk contest itself went pretty quickly. There wasn't a lot of missed dunks. There wasn't these all these extra rounds and everything else. There wasn't four overtimes. Mm-hmm. They crowned a champion pretty quickly. And then it was just right back onto the show. And I think that was better. I'm not saying do that every single year. But in this particular year, it actually kind of worked. No, I agree with that. I think, you know... In general, going forward, you know, I I am a huge fan of the dunk contest. I'm a dunk contest purist. I think that even just having four um, participants is lame, frankly. Like, it used to be eight. And I just, I want, man, I want Zion in it. I want John in it. I want Anthony Edwards in it. I want Zach Levine to come back and defend his crown. I want airplane mode. I I want Aaron Gordon. Like, I just want the best dunkers to put on a show next year, wherever it is. I guess it's Cleveland, right? Um, yeah, big draw. Just, just have them all there. Everybody's yeah, everybody's going to be rushing to Cleveland. Well, we did see a tweet from Jaw on that, didn't we? He's basically saying, look, inconsistent judging is the reason why I don't do the contest. That is a huge problem. It's absolutely something that's worth uh, addressing from the league office. There's a lot of money to be made, I, I would think, or I would assume, if you can get a star like John Morant in that contest, it would be such a bigger deal. So... Have the sit down, right? Have the conference call. Get him on on Zoom and say, "What are you looking for from the judges?" And then find judges who are capable of delivering, or who have experience, or help them practice, or build in some sort of like um, instructional time period so that we can get uh, the standardized judges. Just for the record, though, Michael, I don't blame the judges for Cassius Stanley's performance. I blame his struggles reacting to the adversity because he took himself out after that first dunk. Oh. Agree, one hundred percent. I mean, the uh, but let's be clear. Like the first, the the first dunk was poorly judged, but you know the second one, he tries to do the bet- like the under the butt dunk that Aaron Gordon pulled off, and he can't do it, and then he just bails on the idea. And I think the pressure of just the time constraints of having it at halftime probably got to him because. The dunk that he went to from that was just very, very bland, very vanilla. You can't do that in a dunk contest. Like He's better than that. Come on. For sure. And I also think the other guys going so cleanly on their first dunks probably got into his head, mm-hmm. too, because you know nobody was missing. So then you're just like the one guy who's missing, right? So yeah, um, I didn't think the judging was as bad as it was last year, and that's at least a minor victory for the <laughs> league. Um, and so here, just a couple other quick follow-ups on the dunk contest before we move forward. We agree that Simons deserved to win. Yes. Um, I wish, I mean, I wish he kissed the rim. I, you know what would have been really cool that I was thinking about this morning is if he put on a mask and like maybe he had a mouth guard on underneath it and he kissed the rim that way. Because like kissing the rim is pretty, I mean, you could get pretty hurt doing that. So I understand why he didn't want to go all the way. Oh, but I, I, I thought you were worried about saliva. Like, I thought maybe you wanted on one dunk, he kisses the rim, and the next one he goes back and disinfects it or something like that. Or I didn't know where you were going with the mask. The mask was protecting his mouth? 
No, I, I don't even, I don't know if the mask would, maybe the mask would protect his mouth, but I, I would have liked some kind of clever, um, I don't know, some kind of clever involvement of, of maybe like a mask isn't that cool to involve and maybe I'm overthinking it, but I just, he should have kissed it and kissing it is dangerous. So doing it with a mask would have been nice. That's all. I'm telling you, I saw that video on YouTube where he like grazed his head on the rim when he was in high school and it was pretty cool. And I thought he was going that direction when he went up for the kiss. And, you know, I think people might be overstating the damage the rim can cause. Like he was floating and levitating pretty well. Don't you think he could sort of line himself up, get a quick little pucker in there and then move forward? I I think it was possible. Um, But this is why you probably needed to practice that for a a solid week Mm -hmm. before uh, getting into it. Um, All right, so if we're agreeing that the dunk contest went fairly smoothly, even if it was unspectacular, and we're agreeing that they got the right champion, and by the way, uh, Obi Toppin also agreed. He said afterwards he didn't feel robbed. This wasn't an Aaron Gordon-type situation. So that's another win for the dunk contest. Um, Did you actually like the format change where instead of, you know, I know you wanted more people in the field, but when you get to that final round, We've seen overtimes where it just goes back and forth and back and forth, and the judges kind of give out 150, and then they feel obligated to give out another 50 to kind of you know settle it in the next round. And then you get into all these weird scoring dynamics. This year, they said final round, each dunker only gets one dunk, and then rather than giving out scores, the judges just vote on the winner. So it's, it's a little bit more like boxing in that sense. Simon's mm-hmm. won on the cards three to two. Personally, I love this format change. I think it keeps it simpler. There's less chance for shenanigans, and it also puts more pressure on that final dunk. So I'm with you. Even if you want to expand the field to eight people, that's fine. When you get to that final dunk, it's your best dunk. Show us what you got, and then everybody goes home. What do you think? So two things. One, I agree. I liked how the judges uh, put up the dunkers' names as opposed to a number. What I would like to see is them judge more than one dunk just because I want to see as many dunks as possible. So maybe like two dunks back to back to back to back um, from the two finalists. And then the the judges can kind of go from there and pick one. And then the other thing is the judges can't be sitting next to each other in the future if they're going to do this. Because I saw them talking to one another and maybe lobbying for one guy or or one guy over another or something like that. And obviously there was the big conspiracy last year with, with Wade and Scottie Pippen and everybody else. So um, I just want them to be, maybe they, we can have them in like separate parts of the, of the court, not sitting next to each other. And that would, that would maybe instill a little bit more um, um, legitimacy to the process. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, once again, overthinking the dunk contest, but I have a lot of thoughts. So no, um, and, I, I and like it. I mean, this is the era of social distance. I guess it has to be brought to the slam dunk contest judging format. Maybe it should be sort of like, what do you think? Like a proctored exam, sort of like the SAT where you can't look at each other's papers. So you have to sit inside like a little, uh, you know, desk stall with little walls. <laughs> you can't peek around to see what anybody else is doing. I'm with you. They do get into the group think, and that can steer them the wrong direction. I actually think that sometimes the crowd being involved in that and trying to lobby is a fun aspect to dunk contests, right? Because ultimately, mm-hmm. you, you do kind of want to reward the, the, the crowd's champion, I think, a lot of the times. Um, but having five people like, hey, Spud, would you give that one? That's not what we want. We, You, you know, no. if, if you're not capable of making your own 
you know, judgment on a six to 10 scale, then you shouldn't be a dunk contest judge. And if you've won a dunk contest, like most of this year's judges had, you should be able to make those kinds of calls by yourself. All right. Um, real quick, as you look ahead to next year's slam dunk contest, so you were telling me about some of the names you were hoping would be in it. Any other format changes, tweaks? What does your dream dunk contest look like for next year? No, I, I don't think I have too many tweaks beyond what we've already covered. And I, I think it's the dunk contest is only as good. This is a dumb thing to say out loud, but it's only as good as the dunks that we see and, and who's throwing them down. So I, if there's any way to convince and motivate some of the, the league's like bigger names to participate, be it like a... What if there was like a briefcase? Uh, Rohan Nadkarni of, of SI had this idea in his column of just putting like a $5 million, $5 million in cash in a briefcase and letting the winner kind of walk home with that. I would, I, I think that more names would be involved and take it more seriously if that were the case. Like, I don't know. So that's basically it. I just want to see the best dunkers doing the best dunks. <laughs> Any way you can make that happen, it would be wonderful. Yeah, let, let's just be clear. The the nearly kissing the uh, rim dunk is not worth $5 million. That's for sure. I'm actually kind of... <laughs> no, it's not. I'm actually now just picturing you giving a presentation at the NBA League office with the PowerPoint where like the headline <laughs> of your slide is the slam dunk contest is only as good as the dunks. And everybody's like nodding vigorously like, oh, great point, great point. <laughs> Hadn't thought of that. Um, no, you're you're dead right. And like star power matters here too, man. It just does. Like I think you know, Cassius Stanley came out of the gate with a really smooth dunk. I think it got um, a little bit underrated because it was so smooth, right? And that was a pretty nice dunk. If he's an All Star level player, I don't think it gets underrated in the same way. I think people are a little bit more excited about it. And that, that goes back to your point about whatever it takes to get a Zach Levine or a Zion Williamson into it. They should be participating. And, you know, by the way, that bothered me about Zach Levine. He's just going to sit courtside and watch as these guys are struggling when he knows that he could do it right there with no practice, rip off his warmups, and completely outdunk all of them. Oh, it would have been glorious. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, come on. Come on, Zach Levine. Ask not what the league can do for you. Ask what you could do for the league. Step up and throw everybody a bone and put on an amazing show and, and you know, win the entire weekend in Atlanta. It was an opportunity right there for him for the taking, and he passed. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Let's shift over to the All-Star Game discussion itself. But before we could even get to tip-off, we had some pretty big news. I mean, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were both basically scratched on the day of the All-Star Game, hours before tip-off, because of a close contact with a barber who tested positive for COVID-19. That forced them basically to leave Atlanta Thankfully, the league's protocols kept the players isolated from each other, so there was no possibility of um, those two players, you know, being, um, you know, having COVID nineteen spreading it to their fellow stars before the game. And thankfully, so far, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid have tested negative, uh, as far as we know. They will probably miss some time here you know, at the start of the second half of the regular season because of the NBA's, uh, you know, mandated uh, contact tracing program. But uh, the worst case scenario that some people envision happening where, you know, there's an outbreak at the All-Star weekend and now all of a sudden, you know, all the NBA's biggest names are are testing positive. So far, that has not taken place. The NBA did note that all the players who did play in the All-Star game on Sunday tested negative after the game. So, so far, so good. But when you're looking from a PR perspective and, you know, this is in the context of LeBron and all these other players saying we shouldn't even hold this All-Star game for weeks in advance of the actual game. How big of a disaster was this on a scale of 1 to 10 for the league when the headline becomes, well, the NBA tried to have an all-star game in a pandemic and they couldn't even keep all the players healthy? Like, how bad was that, especially when LeBron's coming out on Sunday and being like, well, I told you so. We were all worried that something like this might happen. Hmm. I mean, I guess my personal reaction was like, I, I didn't I didn't really care that much about Embiid and Simmons um, not being able to compete. Like, honestly, my mind first went to the barber who tested positive for COVID and just being like, I hope this this person is okay. That's like a very serious thing. I don't know if he has any other, you know, um, underlying health conditions that would make this um, a, a very scary situation or not. So, I, I mean, that's where my head personally went first. And I know we're, we're talking about basketball here, but that's just being honest, that's that's the first thing I thought of. Um, and then from there, well, like... rightfully so, I, by the way, because, you know, at the arena last night, they had set aside a seat for Sekou Smith mm-hmm. uh, from NBA TV, who recently passed away after battling COVID. So your mind's going in the right place, Michael. Humanity is more important than basketball. Um, so very well said there. I guess the league had a lot of its reputation on the line with this decision is sort of what I'm getting at. Right. And they took a lot of heat and they justified it by saying, this is a celebration of the sport. It's our biggest fan engagement night of the year. We believe that we can do this safely. And they could still argue coming out of this game. Look, we did it safely. You know, we, we set up these protocols to prevent, you know, a widespread uh, situation among our different players. We isolated Ben and Joel, and we had a system that kind of caught their contact um, with that that positive test, and so we were able to kind of protect our players in that way. 
Are you buying that defense or are you just kind of stepping back and saying, look, we've gotten so far down this rabbit hole, we shouldn't be in a situation where they're playing a meaningless exhibition game where anybody's at, at extra risk. And, you know, the fact that two guys who were selected and had to give up their midseason break to go down to Atlanta only to find out that they have to turn around and fly right back home. And they don't even get to play. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a disappointing moment for them. Um, maybe that uh, should be a wake-up call here that we've uh, all gone a little bit too deep into these conversations. I mean, I, I do think it, it stinks for Embiid and, and Ben Simmons, absolutely. I can only imagine just, like, how uh, disappointed they were to get the news that, like, hey, actually, you're not going to be able to play tonight. I wonder if they watched the game and just what that experience was like for them. But like, No, they watched Harry and Meghan, man. Yeah, no, as we all should have. <laughs> but um, but no, I I mean I I, I actually see. I don't want to like you know um, pat the NBA on the on the back here too much, but like what would have been worse and what you know maybe a league like the NFL would have done in a situation like this is just not let anybody know and you know then Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid would play and they would hope that neither player actually contracted COVID and uh, that uh, you know it was just because you know they both tested negative ultimately so I guess technically they could have played and not infected anyone else. I don't know. It's a, it's a good point. They could have come up with an excuse to kind of turn the other cheek. And everybody was wondering about this during the bubble playoffs too, right? It's like, well, what happens if LeBron tests positive during a playoff series? Are you really going to hold him out? Or what happens if he's in close contact with someone? Are you really going to hold him out? And to the NBA's credit, they lived up to their protocols, even though that must have been an awfully difficult phone call to tell Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, sorry, guys, uh, you're not positive, but you still don't get to play. And, mm-hmm. you know, we flew you down here and now we have to fly you right back home. I mean, we saw how frustrated Kevin Durant was when he had to get shut down for the second time due to contact tracing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure those Sixers stars were feeling the same feelings, right? Yeah, 100%. So I, 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 I mean, I appreciate, I guess, the consistency of, of upholding the health and safety protocols. Like that said, in the context of maybe we shouldn't have played this game at all is there kind of hovering over all of it. But, uh, but no, I mean, I think it was a smart decision at the end of the day to, to hold them out because, you know, maybe they would have tested, maybe they would have been a false negative test and one of them actually had it. And, and then as they said um, earlier in the day, you know, their biggest nightmare scenario is all of the stars contracting covid at this event and then flying back out to their teams and like that would just be that would be bad for the nba so doing everything in their power to avoid that as best they can they did and i guess we can just kind of move on from from there yeah for sure i mean i guess if i'm ranking it on like a one or ten scale i mean i I do think this was like pretty bad look and pretty rough you know headline coming into that game did it contribute to the wider absences that we saw? I think that was also part of it too, right? Kevin Durant doesn't show up. The team's named after him, but he's injured, so he's not there. You've got you know Devin Booker replaced by Mike Conley, and they're all replacing Anthony Davis in the first place. You've got Zion last minute starting. Nah, Jason Tatum last minute starting. Nah, Sabonis mm-hmm. makes a roster kind of out of nowhere. You've got all these different changes supposed to be the all-star game Michael was the not quite all of the stars game in my opinion Um, and I I do think having Simmons and Embiid it also with those guys out 
it also just tilted the power balance within the game further towards Team LeBron. And LeBron absolutely destroyed Kevin Durant in the All-Star draft. I mean, it was not even close. And having no MB just made that worse. And it, it kind of wound up in a situation where Team LeBron won... 170 to 150. I mean, this is a dynasty for LeBron. He's won four straight All-Star games as the captain. He only had to play the first half. He had the three best players in the game, Giannis, Steph, and Damian Lillard. Giannis winds up winning MVP because he was perfect 16 for 16 from the field, including a banked-in three-pointer, which we all know that he definitely didn't call. Um <laughs> Was Giannis the right All-Star Game MVP here, or would you have gone with Steph or Damian Lillard for the uh, the send-off three-point shot? Hmm, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I wanted Chris Paul to win because I like when my predictions are correct, and yeah. I thought Chris my, my Paul— My prediction did not factor in. Luka, kind of a quiet night for Luka. <laughs> yeah. Um, although he did have that dunk where he kind of— blew by Kawhi who wasn't really playing defense and then like cocked it back and Kawhi's reaction actually made me laugh out loud where he was literally scratching his head like I didn't think that Luka could do, could do that so that was fun <laughs> yeah just a little um, note for Ty Lu from this all-star game Kawhi at center lineups probably aren't going to get it done defensively so just consider keeping some bigs around him <laughs> Um, but no, if you're if you're Giannis, like I mean, what else would he have to do to get the MVP? He's like sixteen for sixteen from the floor, thirty five points in nineteen minutes. Like that's pretty incredible. Even if he was getting a lot of those um, just laughable defense, but I mean, it's the All Star game. Uh, so what are you well, do? they kept forcing switches with Zach Levine and talk about mouse in the house. I mean, oh my goodness, there, there's a couple <laughs> different situations there where Zach Levine's just like backpedaling into like the third row to get out of the way of Giannis dunks. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that's what Giannis is there for, the consistent energy night after night. Mm -hmm. This game really needed it, and so I actually thought he was a deserving All-Star Game MVP simply because he helped set the tone early. It was a really choppy, kind of ugly, sloppy game. I mean, guys are missing dunks left and right. You know, passes are sailing into the stands and all that stuff. Somebody had to show up and kind of straighten things out, and I felt like that was Giannis. Um, both Damian Lillard, though, and Steph Curry had some awesome, awesome moments. So let's go there next, Michael. What were your top three moments of the game itself? Yeah, I mean, you lead me right into them. I mean, Dame and Steph hitting those back-to-back, like half, those are legitimately half-court shots. Um, what was that, at the end of the first half, I believe? Um, yeah, they were up by like, like 40 points in the second quarter. So it was like, all right, well, uh, this has already been decided because of the you know the new scoring system. So they just had like yeah. three minutes of garbage time. It didn't matter. So they used that opportunity. I think Damian pulled up from like one step behind half court. Steph was like maybe like six inches inside the half court line, but just rockets, man. I mean, the, like those shots were just like breathtaking. Like that was like easily the, the the highlight of the night for me like the number one thing that I will remember is just like the ease with, with which those guys like those were they were just shooting jumpers like it wasn't even they weren't heaves <laughs> it was it was incredible um I'm telling you it really just it's all about the core strength those guys have been working on that stuff <laughs> apparently it's it's those shots come from your midsection not from your arms uh so just little known fact I read on the internet thank you shut doctor Ben Golliver, I really no bio biomechanic. I would use. I would actually prefer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, those. I mean, the, like it was. It was. It really spoke to just where the league is, where the sport is. 
um, what is valued. And it also just kind of like a curtain was like peeled back a little bit with just like what we see from these guys during games, how incredible they are during normal regular season competition is, is ridiculous. But then like, like the things that they can actually do is it, kind of blows away <laughs> what they can do already in games. So, like, I, like those those shots were just no, I, I'm absurd. with you. I mean, a couple of years ago was the first time that anyone was pulling up from super deep like that, and I actually really didn't like it at the time because I was like, come on. It felt sort of like when Steph Curry laid down on defense and let Giannis dunk, and I was like, is this game really getting to this point where, like, all we're doing is just, like, going around it? It's almost like open gym or empty gym, you know, like PE in middle school. Everyone's just going to take half-court shots, and hopefully mm-hmm. the ball doesn't hit somebody who's not paying attention, right? Um, but the fact that they were sort of doing it in the game action, and then the fact that Lillard ended the game with that the deep, deep three-pointer, I think it was at least 40 feet, that was pretty awesome, like the send-off shot. And my favorite moment of the whole thing, I'm sure you saw the video clip, was Steph Curry waving to everybody before Lillard pulled up to take that shot. He was basically, you know, doing the Damian Lillard wave from the playoffs, um, including waving at Paul George, who I believe was one of his teammates on Team LeBron. (laughs) While Curry is waving, Lillard hits the shot, he keeps waving, and then gets a high five from Paul George. After the game, Paul George tells everyone, guess what? I was wrong. A couple years ago, those deep threes are not bad shots. They're actually great shots. And he kind of tips his hat to these guys who have extended their range out that far. It does do exactly what you said a minute ago. It shows the evolution of the sport and the just incredible uh, individual talents uh, that, uh, you know, exist in this league from a shooting perspective. To me, that that final shot was the signature moment of the night. That was my favorite. What other uh, favorites came up? What about the... um, what about the alley-oops between Chris Paul and Curry? You know, Curry got way up, was hanging on the rim. I didn't even know he could do that. And then Chris mm-hmm. Paul got a dunk. Now, frankly, it wasn't clean. You know, there was a lot of rattling going on involved. But I wasn't completely convinced that Chris Paul could dunk anymore, let alone two-handed alley-oop dunk. That was pretty awesome, too. Yes, that that was on my list. CP had a dunk in last year's All-Star game, too. Um, he's just, I mean, he's a a physical marvel doing what he's doing at 35 years old like I, yeah i <laughs> it's ridiculous um those guys all feeding each other the fact that they were on the floor at the same time too on the same team dame steph and cp i just i got a huge kick out of that that was really cool to see um my i guess like real quick i just want to say about the dame's game winner um that was yeah that was 100% the signature moment of of the game and um, just like the confidence, I guess it's like no matter um, like we all know these guys are super confident, but the fact that they made all these deep threes instead of just like jacking them up, which isn't as fun, but like, I think they only missed one. I was going to say, I think they combined to go three for four and it's not just his confidence. It's the fact that as soon as he's pulling up on that last shot, if you watch the two guys who are closest to him, Michael, their shoulders slump. They know it's going in. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 mind melting. Uh, I love it. Um, my the other moment that I think I'll remember forever is Giannis hitting that sidestep three that was like <laughs> clearly a travel in the corner. But like after it went in, the way he reacted, the way he galloped up the court with Jokic was like 
I have never seen anyone happier on a basketball court in my entire life. That made me smile. It made me laugh to myself watching on my couch. That was that was that was indelible, indelible like, um, um, just pure joy. I really have no other words for it. It was it was awesome to see. I'm with you. And the other one that he banked in, where he just has this huge smile, he's laughing at himself was was <laughs> great best. too. No, he, he he his personality really did translate in that empty arena. It's not easy, you know. A couple of guys were able to kind of manufacture the energy um, last night. I thought Steph did for sure. I mean, Lillard has his own vibe going, but he's never kind of like a big pump up type guy. He's just so calm and reserved. Um, but Giannis and, and Steph for sure brought the joy. There's there's no way around it. And Jokic is just a goofball, man. Like the more he shows up, his personality is so goofy. It's funny. Um, I regret to inform you though, you missed the best moment of the whole night. Um, okay. And it's you know it, it couldn't we we couldn't have this podcast without mentioning LeBron with the bouncing alley oop to Rudy Gobert for the most boring dunk you've ever seen. <laughs> After the gigantic controversy between the Utah Jazz, are they video game players? LeBron leaving Mm -hmm. Gobert and Mitchell for last. Um, You know, those guys kind of, I think, being, uh, you know, in their feelings about it a little bit um, in the days afterwards. What an olive branch from LeBron uh, to throw that pass and Rudy Gobert just finishing it in perfect textbook Gobert fashion. No, that was that was wonderful. Um, that really, I was so close to just DVRing the rest of the night and switching over to the Meghan Merkel interview. Like I, <laughs> that was that was the moment where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Oh, I thought maybe um, you had gotten the closure you were seeking, and it was like, all right, well, we're 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 all going home here. <laughs> hey, speaking of LeBron, next question for you: What did you make of him mm-hmm. just sitting out the entire second half? Was he trying to make a point here about? You know, we should have had this game, so I'm just only going to play 13 minutes because I have to, but, you know, I, I don't really need to be here. Um, or do you think it was just a resting situation? They had a lot of other guys who needed to play. Mm. Do you think that they were up by so much it didn't matter? How do you, what's your read on that? I mean, first of all, I was kind of like, good. Um, he shouldn't need to play the second half. It's meaningless, ultimately. And this is the most important player. In the NBA, the most important player of his generation. He's trying to win a championship. Um, The way he's been utilized um, in L.A.'s rotation over the past couple weeks since AD went down. I mean, you and I have talked about it over and over and over again. It's just we don't want him to wear down in the playoffs. And so I know it's only one half of basketball. It's kind of meaningless. But, like, LeBron, I don't know. He was missing layups, uh, flubbed like a dunk attempt. He just didn't look like it was it was happening for him physically that night like he was up for it so he just didn't want to be there i mean no and even from his uh his sunday press conference couldn't you kind of get that same vibe where you know he just he was just going through the motions and you can understand why um they've had a huge burden but uh it was probably the right decision to sit him out frankly i don't know did you miss him in the second half i mean i miss him from the general standpoint of like Mm -hmm. anything he does it just sort of like raises the intrigue factor when he's on the court, but I thought the game itself was just fine without him. I too enjoy watching him play basketball, but I yeah, I didn't really after the first couple of minutes where I was like, oh, LeBron's not out there. I hope he's okay. That was my first reaction, and then um, once that was kind of settled, it was just like, okay, whatever. I'm just gonna watch 
whoever is actually putting themselves through this. I mean, I, we haven't mentioned it yet, and there's no questions here to mention it, I think. But I just want to point out that Zion missing like six dunks in a row was really not what you want. And I was I was flabbergasted by that. I don't know what your what your read on that was. I feel like he was nervous. Uh, Zion does have a tendency to get a little bit nervous every once in a while. You remember his first game back? He started really slow the first couple of quarters before he like got red hot from the three-point line um against the Spurs yeah yeah. I just feel like maybe he was just a little bit overwhelmed by the moment and kind of pinching himself I'm sure he didn't expect to start that probably threw him off too so I'm going to chalk it up to those uh rookie jitters right um all-star rookie Mm -hmm. jitters and and Kevin Durant mentioned that do you remember during the all-star draft they had that video of him talking to LeBron from his first all-star game chatting with LeBron and then in real time Katie was like oh yeah man I was super nervous to even be talking to LeBron in that moment so I do think that happens for these guys and that's how I'm going to explain Zion's just kind of incomprehensible dunk misses. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, a guy who has definitely been in the All-Star game before, Chris Paul. You had a couple of tweets about his All-Star game assist record. If I'm not mistaken, he passed Magic Johnson by one assist after registering 16 assists in this particular game mm-hmm. to take over the all-time career assist record. Michael was he gunning for it? You were all over this on Twitter. Did, did, <laughs> That's all I cared about. Did you get tipped off to it? I mean, it was an incredible box score line from Chris Paul. It was like six points and 16 assists, I think, something like that. Yeah, and eight boards. I mean, I, I had a feeling that um, he was going to go for this, and you could sense that everybody around him, like it was a thing on the team. Like everybody knew Um what he was trying to accomplish based on when he would pass it to them, they would shoot <laughs> immediately. Uh, and some of the shots were absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, he was fortunate that Dame was just an absolute flamethrower, hit some ridiculous threes. Uh, obviously, Giannis being on the same team, Giannis hit a couple shots that normally Giannis kind of flubs during normal games. Like he had a couple mid range, like tough floaters. Um, for CP, but it was kind of clear to me that uh, this was a thing. He wanted to pass Magic. It was awesome to see him do it. As someone who really cares about um, the All-Star game and, and what it means, just it's like he basically solidified himself as the best point guard in All-Star history in my eyes, which is a really cool thing. And this was probably going to be his last chance. I mean, who is who am I to write off Chris Paul? But... The likelihood of him making another All-Star game isn't particularly high, I would say. So it was awesome for him to kind of go out as he did. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's back next year. But at the same time, if you're him, you definitely can't count on that, right? Because he's had perfect health this season. That definitely helped his case this year. You can never count on that once you're getting that deep into your 30s. So he certainly wanted to make sure that record was his now, in my opinion. So I do think he was gunning for it. And it's just awesome that he knew it, that he was able to execute it and everything else. My favorite stat of the entire box score was also a Chris Paul stat, Michael. He played um, off the bench for Team LeBron 31 minutes. And in those 31 minutes, he was a team best plus 26, Michael. That's ridiculous in an all-star game. MVP, baby. Yeah, the advanced stats. They love Chris Paul in this game. Um, On the flip side, James Harden. Minus 23 in 32 minutes, 13 of his 14 attempts were three-pointers. He did make seven of them, um, apparently wasn't doing a ton on the defense event during those minutes. Did you have a favorite box score note from this game? Now we're just getting super dorky, but I figured I might as well yeah. might as well ask you. 
I have two, uh, and they are very, very dorky. Can I guess one uh, of them? The first, sure. The fact that Jason Tatum was the only positive player on Team Durant with a plus seven? No, I actually didn't even um, scope that. Well, That's very interesting. It's not surprising. It's not surprising. Yeah, well, um, you're focusing too much on honoring Larry Bird here, and you need to live in the present here and realize Jason Tatum's huge positive impact in just 17 minutes of action. No, he's a legend, living legend. Um, no, my my first one is that Jalen Brown had a 31.9 usage rate, which was a game high. And you don't usually see that from first-time All-Stars. Like, as you said with Zion, like, you got your nerves. He was playing, I guess, I mean, it is, he's from Atlanta, so um, even though there was no uh, fans in the crowd, he's kind of the hometown hero. And he was hitting shots, taking shots, a uh, lot of confidence. So that was that was fun to see for Jalen in his first All-Star Do you appearance. think it could sort of be like the Chris Ball thing where Jalen's just worried that he might not get back? You know, he's on a team maybe trending in the wrong direction and there aren't going to be a ton of future All-Star okay. nominations for him. <laughs> okay. Is that possible? This was the first of at least 15 All-Star appearances for Jalen <laughs> Actually, Brown. that's a good question. How many do you think over-under for his career? Because he's in the Eastern Conference. He's exactly the mm-hmm. kind of player... You know, from a two-way wing standpoint, you would just kind of pencil in most years. At the same time, we probably would have thought Pascal Siakam was going to be an annual selection last year at this time. So uh, I have a number for you. Okay. I have a number Bring for it you. On. Seven and a half. Oh, over my under. God. I'm taking under for sure. Okay. Well, you're wrong. Um, okay. So my, <laughs> my, my, next, my next stat is uh, uh, Doma Sabonis. His defensive rating was 253.3. Nobody else was over 200. He played like 17 minutes, I think, 17, 18, 19 minutes in this game. That is, I mean, I I, I saw that, and I, I maybe it's a misprint on NBA.com. That's like almost impossible. No, that doesn't. To that, be that, <laughs> that really does not sound right. <laughs> I mean, that's practically like you have to shoot three pointers into your own hoop at that to get that right. Um, <laughs> so I just thought that was. Funny. Let's just double check the calculators and, and uh, slide rules on that one. That um, I mean, you almost have to take away his skills challenge title if that is a real number. So <laughs> we're going to have to confer with the judges there, Michael. Um, so here's my question for you uh, as we talk about kind of big picture all-star stuff, because there were some fun moments and, you know, and some cause for really dorking out here for us. But the idea of the uh, Elam ending from last year's all-star game, which made such an exciting finish, it just wasn't a factor this year because Team LeBron was way too good. And we all saw it coming. I mean, the draft was just really one-sided. Part of the problem with the draft is that you don't have the 24 best players in the league because you've got half of them coming from the Eastern Conference, half of them coming from the West. And I think there's snubs in the West who are better than some of the players in the East. Should they just get rid of conference designations totally um, in this process so that you're just taking the top 24 players? So in other words, the fans are just voting for their top 10 starters. The coaches are just you know picking reserves regardless of conference. And then that way, the teams will wind up being more balanced. You could still keep the Elam ending if you wanted. But ultimately, like if you have this power balance, no matter how you change the rules or the time or the format or whatever else, it's still going to wind up you know being pretty one-sided. I want to say the Western Conference won like four of the last five All-Star games before they switched up to the captain format. And now LeBron's team has won four in a row. Um, We just need a little bit better, you know, uh, power balance, competitive balance in this game, Michael. Well, first of all, I just want to say that the Elam ending is incredible. Um, I wouldn't touch it. I would keep it. 
uh, for every um, All Star game going forward. It's it's a joy. Uh, well, I, you know, one I, one thing on that. I mean, I'm with you in theory, but when we get out of that third quarter and the target score, it's like I mean, I'm exaggerating here, but it was like 166 to 82, and the target score was 170. It's like, whoa, this is really interesting. Can't wait to see how this goes. You know? No, I, I mean, you would like for that not to be the case going forward in these games, but um, you know. We're we're obviously dealing with a a, a tiny sample size. We have two Elam endings to go off of. Last year's, it was phenomenal. I think you would agree. This year, not so much. But this year, there's just a lot of wonky stuff. And KD didn't play. Uh, Joel Embiid didn't play, uh, who was on um, uh, Team Durant. So uh, I think maybe those two would have factored in. Joel Embiid actually is a pretty decent all-star player. who is out there in crunch time. So uh, so I think that, you know, we're dealing with, again, just really small uh, samples here. But I guess to answer your question, I, I honestly don't even feel like the West, like players in the West were snubbed harder than players in the East. Like I think the number one snub for me overall was Chris Middleton out of the East. I, I, like I don't think there were any other players. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing somebody in the West who didn't make it, who deserved to. Um, so I don't know. I just, I, I know tradition is not a good reason to keep something the way it's been, but I'm perfectly fine keeping, um, you know, 12 players from each conference and having those guys be in the all-star game. Disagree hard. Just take the top 24 players. <laughs> Let's get the best guys out there and have a better show. That's what I say. Um, all right. A couple of last uh, wrap up questions here, Michael, uh, rapid fire. Did any part of you wish you were in Atlanta last night? Did you have that FOMO? Did you want to be down there in the empty building just kind of scoping it all in? Or were you, you know, okay being comfortable at home on your couch? Zero. The thought never even crossed my mind that I wanted to be there. I was frankly surprised how many media members were there. I didn't expect that to be the case. I was kind of scouting it out on Twitter and surprised by how many were in attendance. Uh, yeah, for me personally, no. Um, and honestly, I haven't watched an all-star game on television in like four or five years. So, uh, I thought that was, that was like a pretty fun thing for me. Cause you know, watching the dunk contest on TV is just a lot different than watching it in person. And even though this dunk contest wasn't great, um, it was just a different point of view that I've, I've, I grew up loving watching all this stuff on television, obviously. So, yeah, like take even taking like the pandemic out of it. No, I just I didn't really want to be there. No, I'm with you. Look, I have been at every All Star weekend since 2011, except for this one. There was a lot of FOMO, at least some FOMO coming into it. Just and I hate to see the streak snap, Michael. You know, I'm one of these Apple Watch guys who just wants to have you know hit those rings, close those rings every single day, and <laughs> and just you know sure. kind of day in day out and do it, kind of a Cal Ripken type thing. So losing that streak was a little bit painful. There's there's no question about it. But there wasn't a moment where I was like, man, I really wish I had seen that in person. And usually I think this might have been a healthier year for me because usually I'm just so just going out of my mind when it comes to the All-Star Week and digging into every single little media scrum and going to every event and covering the skills challenge like it really matters and doing all these different things. And when you watch it from home at an appropriate distance, you know, 3,000 miles away, 
yeah, you 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 start to realize yes, this is an ex- exhibition. This is not like the most important you know uh, thing that's ever taken place. And I think that was a, a good reminder for me, just to you know get, come back up for air every once in a while. And and this year was my chance to do that. Um, had the dunk contest been a classic, right? Like if Levine had pulled off the All Star jersey to reveal like a Superman suit, and he goes out there and just shocks the world, I think I would have been feeling differently. Um, but you know, I'm okay with nearly seeing Anthony Simons nearly kiss the rim. I'm cool with it. It's fine. Um, (laughs) If you look into your crystal ball, Michael, to next year, and they already released the logos for the Cleveland All-Star Weekend, we heard Adam Silver with a lot of optimism on Saturday saying, look, the vaccine's coming along. Uh, The COVID situation's improving. We're we're not going to go to a bubble for the playoffs. We think next year is going to start on time. We think players are going to be available for the Olympics. I mean, it's, things were sounding very optimistic for the first time in a while from the commissioner. When you look ahead to the 2022 All-Star Game, which is set for Cleveland, do you think it's going to be a normal All-Star Weekend or pretty close to normal? What are you anticipating for next year? I mean, on one hand, this is a very dangerous question because making predictions in this world is just like such a fool's errand. But to hear, like, I don't think Adam Silver would say these things publicly if he didn't have... Um, tremendous confidence in them. So that made me feel pretty good. Um, you know, I just, I, as someone who covers the league, or someone who loves the league, um, I would like things to get back to normal with regards to going to games, being in locker rooms, all that. Um, so I guess that was, that was nice to hear. Um, so I think if I had to, you know, make a prediction here, it would be that um, as difficult as it is to imagine ever being in a scrum at All-Star Weekend ever again in my entire life, based on the last year of our collective existence, uh, I think next year will be pretty normal. I'm with you. I think I'll probably be traveling next year for sure. You know, I, I would imagine I'll be vaccinated by that point, and most of the country would. I would imagine that there's going to probably be some adjustments to how the media stuff uh, works, like you're describing. Um, that could have been long overdue, frankly, you know, given some of those mosh pits that you get uh, involved in during All-Star Weekend. And I would think that the event will be fairly normal. And I would actually anticipate there's probably going to be a a normal crowd too, don't you think? Full building? I mean, I hope so. Um, It it was really weird. It was weird to see, you know, it's weird to watch any basketball games in an empty arena, but to see an all-star game in an empty arena was particularly jarring for me. No, I'm with you. All right. I need a quick thumbs up or thumbs down. Taking everything that we've just discussed into account, was the all-star game ultimately worth doing? Adam Silver said, hey, judge it after the fact. Don't judge it beforehand. You know, basically give us a chance, you know, despite all the player complaints and guys who wanted the time off. Once we saw the final product, thumbs up or thumbs down, was it worth doing? I think so only because it spread awareness to HBCUs and generated money for students. And, you know, some of those institutions have been financially struggling for years. So I think that was a good thing. Besides that, like, I, I, you know, we could have done without it, to be honest with you. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of games this season that we could have done without. I think it was worth doing. Um, You know, if if you're going to play minnesota charlotte on wednesday night where the timberwolves are just you know jogging around the court they don't even want to be there if you're going to hold that game you might as well hold the all-star game and there were some <laughs> moments of real joy that that could be in you know future all-star weekend highlight tapes and you know i do think when you're trying to connect with the international audience too and you've got a lot of these international players 
you know, those fans overseas want to see their guy side by side with LeBron and Steph and and whoever else. And so I think for, you know, furthering the the good of the game, I I do think it was worth doing. But ultimately, I'm going to want to see all these guys continue to test negative coming out of it to feel like it was truly a win uh, for the NBA. All right, last question, Michael, and it's a doozy. It's right at you. And the question is, are you ever going to recover from me reading the following email? And here it comes. Chris in New Hampshire wrote in after you and I did our all-star draft. Remember, you picked the Spirit of St. Louis. I picked the Coney Island Hot Dogs. And Chris was listening very carefully to our draft. He says, I took a great deal of joy from listening to the all-star draft. However, I became kind of uncomfortable when you both started comparing your teams and talking about whose team was better, especially when there was so soon to be a game where we'd get a chance to see how all the players performed. Of course, we'll never truly know how the Coney Island Hot Dogs or the Spirit of St. Louis would have played if they were actually constituted in the teams you guys drafted, but we do have the statistics showing how your chosen players performed individually during the All-Star game, and I want to invite you to make sure to tie any retrospective hypothetical All-Star team matchups to what actually happened on the court. To facilitate this, I've taken the liberty of creating a spreadsheet that records the raw counting stats for both of your team's players, and it includes a team stats minute per minute row so as to account for the fact that Ben's players collectively played far more minutes than Michael's. And that's in part because uh, I think Embiid was out, right? So he sent over a spreadsheet, Michael, and here's the, here's the, the kicker. Bottom line, if you're just looking at the score... Ben's hot dogs walloped Michael's spirit 189 to 128. However, when you look at the points per minute average, the discrepancy is smaller. The hot dogs scored 0.73 points per minute. The spirit scored 0.62 points per minute. Add to this the fact that Michael's team was much more impressive statistically by most other metrics, and the view one gets is essentially the one that Ben predicted in the last episode. Michael's team is likely the better team in an actual basketball game if there were real stakes, but Ben's team can really fill up the cup. Michael, I just wanted to thank Chris for the extraordinary effort on uh, this spreadsheet and the statistical uh, keeping. To be honest, I did not fact check anything of what he said, so hopefully he wasn't just trying to like pull my ear and you actually destroyed me. How does it feel to know that the hot dogs triumphed over the spirit of St. Louis? Uh, I, I mean, thank you to Chris for putting this together. It's truly an honor. And I mean, I guess... You, I mean, from reading everything and looking at the spreadsheet, I, I wouldn't agree that you trounced the spirit of St. Louis. I think there was a lot of weird randomness and variables that um, kind of leaked into your favor. And if we, you know, we're actually playing a basketball game, as Chris said, my team was better, which is all that matters. So no, we, we played a game uh, and we kept score um, and one team scored more Michael I mean you're starting to get into like Houston Rockets we have to send our sp- our spreadsheets to the NBA league office as part of like a counterfactual offensive uh, territory well, you know here. you know you know if you want that W from what we saw last night in Atlanta you can have that W Ben okay I'm on to bigger and better um, in my life and what I what I care about so you you take that oh I want it exhibition yeah i know you do give it to me michael i want that w and guess what bigger and better in cleveland next year all right we'll be back in 2022 another fantastic showdown between made-up team names you know reading 
the Coney Island hot dogs in his email really was jarring about how dumb of a name that was for me. So I just wanted to apologize to you and to all the listeners. I mean, I thought it was clever for about three (laughs) seconds. That doesn't always necessarily hold up that well, but fantastic work from Chris. All right, guys, we want your all-star takes. We also want your predictions for the second half of the season. Email them in openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com and be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. Be sure to check out all of his work at si.com. You guys have been killing it over there lately, Michael. I've been reading lots of good stuff. Um, I love to see it. Of course, you can find me on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at BenGolliver. Check out my Washington Post newsletter. It is out today about the dunk contest. And be sure to check out WashingtonPost.com slash sports for my recap of the All-Star Game. All right, Michael, until later this week when the second half of the NBA season will commence, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Redwood Forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.